for you guys. Um, just, I, I really just wanted to uh, just thank the pastor for this opportunity to, to preach the word again. It's just really uh, a tremendous honor and a real blessing to me personally. Um, so uh, the title of my message tonight is uh, The Blessing of Independence. And uh, if you all wouldn't mind uh, turning in your Bibles to Isaiah thirty-three twenty-two with me. Well, just to stand for the reading of God's Word. Okay, Isaiah thirty-three twenty-two. For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. You may be seated. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you uh, for this opportunity to, uh, to preach your word tonight. Uh, we just uh, we thank you for our pastor, and we pray that uh, you'd be watching over him on his trip and uh, just continue to, to uh, bless and protect his family. Please return him to us safely. Uh, please just bless this time together this evening as we study your word and le- learn a little bit, little bit about uh, your will for our lives, Lord. Thank you so much for this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, uh, seeing as how it's, uh, it's getting close to be uh, Independence Day, um, July 4th is uh, this coming week, or this week, rather, um, I wanted to talk a little bit tonight about uh, the concept of independence um, and how it relates to us on, uh, well, in several different ways. But uh, in the dictionary, uh, independence is described um, in several different ways. Uh, number one, free from outside control not depending on another's authority. Also, not depending on another for livelihood or subsistence. Yeah, excuse me there. (laughs) And uh, three, not connected with another or with each other or separate. Uh, We've all been blessed to live in a country that was built and founded on independence. Uh, Independence is woven into the fabric of our country and is an integral part of American tradition. Uh, in fact, 230 year one, 231 years ago this week, on July 4th, 1776, as we know, Thomas Jefferson and the Second Continental Congress signed the United States Declaration of Independence, officially declaring the 13 American colonies independence from the British Empire. And the American Revolution was fought so that we might live as a free people, not bound by the laws or regulations of any outside power. Our forefathers revolted against the British in the interest of becoming a free, self-governing nation, which thankfully, by God's grace, they obviously succeeded in doing. And, you know, the the revolution ultimately resulted in the birth of America as a sovereign nation. And we've all been richly blessed by America's status as as an independent, sovereign nation. But one thing I wanted to talk about is that this concept of independence doesn't just apply on the international level. To Bible-believing Christians, the idea of independence should also be applied at the level of our local churches and even in our own hearts. Here at Berean, we're really blessed, more blessed than we often realize, uh, because of the way that this church was founded and still operates today. Uh, just by a show of hands, how many of you guys have looked at our statement of faith on the, the website? Okay, good. Um, on there, you may uh, remember seeing that uh, one of the things that, uh, that we have stated that we believe in is the autonomy or self-governing power of the local church. Uh, and our church is completely self-governed outside of a denomination. So in other words, because we're not tied to any particular denomination, we are, in that sense, independent. And this self-governing power of the local church is an important thing for us all to understand. Uh, It's one of the main reasons why we've been, I feel, so blessed as a church, and we really need to give God the glory for that. Now, we just 
most of us just called most of us just called church church, and it's as simple as that. But I'm personally very thankful that we are able to attend a local New Testament church. Um, and uh, I, I'm not sure if everybody knows exactly the, the, the meaning of that phrase, but uh, because, well, the pastor has done a wonderful job of defining uh, what a New Testament church is many times, but uh, I'll quickly give you the kind of super condensed Jeff Boyd version. Um, it, it, generally speaking, independent Baptists agree that a New Testament church meets the following criteria. Um, that it's local and visible, meaning that uh, it has a local congregation uh, in a regular meeting place, um, that is organized, having officers, um, pastors and deacons more specifically, um, that is duly constituted, having been properly planted, um, that it exercises church authority and has a membership role. But uh, most importantly, a, a New Testament church is also a, a local self-governing body of believers united in Christ Jesus. And interestingly, this is really the only model for a church given to us by the Bible. That's it. Nowhere in Scripture are you going to find instructions for setting up these complicated systems of church authority spanning multiple areas and regions of the world. Um, It's just not in there. Um, In fact, if you look in the Word, you'll find that the only examples of what can be considered a biblical church are local, autonomous, or self-governing, and under the authority of Christ himself. So, in other words, uh, the biblical model for a church is one that's independent from outside religious authority. No religious hierarchy outside the local church can dictate what our beliefs or practices should be. And this is really important, number one, because we as Christians should understand that God's way is always the best way, as defined by the Bible. And also, important to to note is that, um, because, number two, the, the moment that a church starts to seek instruction and guidance from men rather than God, it's that church is headed down the wrong path. And there are way too many examples of this in the world today. Um, A local church with sound doctrine that acknowledges Christ alone as its head and recognizes no other religious authority than him will be blessed because independence from man means total dependency on the Lord. Um, And the Bible really, it calls upon each of us as believers to embrace a lifestyle of dependency on him and allow the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. So we really need to be totally dependent upon the Lord on a personal level, on the local church level, and uh, dare I say, even the national level, as our country largely was two centuries ago. But uh, in terms of the church's dependency on Christ alone, he died for us and has promised to sanctify and cleanse the church through his word. Um, If you could uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to read... Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 27. I'll give you a moment. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. I'll read it. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So, you're going to find a, a blessing of harmony in these local churches that put all these things into practice and recognize Christ as their sole head and authority. By contrast, however, uh, you'll find nothing but cold, empty, dead religion in churches that have placed themselves under the authority of men. Um, in terms of religion, um, as opposed to faith, uh, religion is a powerful thing. 
as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're really blessed with the peace of knowing who we serve and who has saved us. But as many of us remember, people that don't know the Lord, people that aren't saved, they don't, they don't have that. If you don't have Christ living in your heart, there's a void in there that can't be filled by, by anything else. And it's impossible to fully articulate, especially by a lost person, but there's that deep spiritual hunger for something. Now, a non-believer doesn't necessarily desire a relationship with Christ, but it can definitely be said that they have no spiritual peace of mind. And um, in terms of religion, history has shown us that when people are ignorant of the Bible or in areas where they're prevented from understanding it properly, man-made religion often moves in to capitalize on people's natural desire for that spiritual peace of mind. In fact, entire religions have been built on this principle. The Bible has even been used uh, in strict moderation, of course, to help promote them. And even though these churches call themselves Christian, they teach their members to submit to an authority other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, One clear example of this uh, would be the Roman Catholic Church, um, in which you have several levels of authority with many different roles and offices. Uh, You have the Pope, there are bishops, patriarchs, major archbishops, cardinals, primates, metropolitans, archbishops, diocesan bishops, and other bishops. Now, in the Catholic Church, the Pope is regarded as a supreme authority and visible head of the Christian Church. Uh, In fact, the word Pope is even derived from the Greek word papas, which means father. Um, The Catechism of the Catholic Church notes in paragraph 882, quote, the Roman pontiff, by reason of his office as vicar of Christ and as pastor of the entire church, has full, supreme, and universal power over the whole church, a power which he can always exercise unhindered. Paragraph 937 states, quote, the Pope enjoys by divine institution supreme, full, immediate, and universal power in the care of souls. So, when you have the Pope up here at the top and many levels of authority between him and the little guys at the bottom, uh, I think it's safe to say that this contrasts pretty harshly with the way we believe a church should be set up. In fact, in Matthew 23, verses 8 through 10, we read about what God has to say about who has authority over the church. But be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. So I'd have to say that any church that puts men on the same level of authority as Christ himself is in grave danger of God's judgment. Uh, And that's putting it pretty mildly because uh, anybody who studied the word knows what the Lord has in store for those who challenge his authority. Now, I could go on to explain how the Catholic Church goes against about two-thirds of what the Bible clearly says, but the purpose of my message tonight is not to bash the Catholic Church. Uh, My main goal is actually to point out how much of a blessing it is to be members of a church that isn't tied to a bunch of rules and regulations set up by man. Our church is accountable to God himself and nobody in between. Uh, So I just gave a pretty extreme and fairly obvious example of a so-called church that operates on a uh, pretty complex system of uh, man-made rules. And most people understand that the Catholic Church is set up that way. Um, And the examples where they've departed from the word are fairly obvious to to people who study the word. But really, there are plenty of other examples all around us of churches that submit to an intermediate authority other than God directly. There are a lot of Protestant churches out there, even ones that some of you may have attended at one time or another. 
Now, I'm going to assume that most people here understand what the term Protestant means. Um, I have prepared a 45-minute uh, summary of the Reformation, which I can... Uh, I'll, I'll skip that tonight, but uh, actually, um, kind of a funny story. A short time after I started attending Berean, um, I was actually at a, at a get-together we had for um, some of the members of our morning forum class, and I was sitting there talking with the pastor, and uh, we were discussing how Baptists uh, differ from other faiths, and I made the mistake of saying something like, yeah, you know, Baptists have always been quite a bit different from the other Protestant churches, and uh, he... Uh, quickly corrected me, noting that Baptists have always existed outside of the Catholic Church, and they weren't part of the Reformation. So I was like, oh, and <laughs> felt uh, kind of dumb, but I was very thankful to have been set straight on this important aspect of uh, our church's history. But back to the, uh, the topic of, of these other churches, let's just consider these for a moment. Uh, there are a lot of them out there, a lot of these, these other these Protestant churches, and they make up the majority of non-Catholic so-called Christian churches. Um, so I'll just, we'll just kind of examine a, a few of these just for, uh, just for comparison's sake. Um, in the Episcopal Church, um, you have a kind of a mixture of Protestant and Roman Catholic doctrine and practices. Uh, and internally, they have a, a similar hierarchy to that of the Catholic Church. Um, bishops have authority over dioceses and, and local churches, and there are a lot of similarities there. Um, in the Evangelical Lutheran Church, um, the, uh, the internal hierarchy of that exists on three different levels. You have the national church, uh, the regional districts, and the local congregations, which are presided over by a residing bishop. Um, in the United Methodist Church, um, authority in, in the church is a complex system of different conferences and jurisdictions. Um, they even have certain books that define the official regulations and doctrines of the church, like the Book of Discipline and the Book of Resolutions. Uh, according to their Book of Discipline, the United Methodist Church is just one branch of the universal Christian church, so they really have no problem having fellowship with other churches that actually even contradict their own doctrine, even the Catholic Church. So um, uh, in, in the Presbyterian Church, um, you have four levels of government and administration, uh, each local church is governed by a body of elected elders, usually called the session. Groups of local churches are governed by a higher assembly of elders known as the presbytery. Presbyteries can be grouped into a synod, and synods nationwide often join together in a general assembly. Now, I think all this stuff kind of makes your head spin a little bit, doesn't it? It's very complicated. Um, now, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't recall ever reading anything in the Bible that indicates that churches should be set up in any of the ways that I just described. Um, now, many of these different denominations have always had Catholic tendencies, but even these so-called Reformed churches are now so detached from the Word of God uh, that you have things like homosexuals in the church and even in church leadership, uh, church acceptance of uh, the theory of evolution, uh, female pastors and priests, um, the embracing of liberation theology, uh, just general disregard for the standards of Christian living and, and probably worst of all, just a failure to acknowledge Christ and give him the glory that only he deserves. But, uh, you know, in addition to these, there are actually a lot of non-denominational churches out there that are technically independent, somewhat like we are. Um, but unfortunately, some of them are oftentimes so independent that they don't even feel the need to preach the whole gospel. Um, Many of these churches are more interested in filling seats than they are in preaching the truth to the people that need it most. 
I mean, let's face it. Uh, the raw truth of God's word just isn't very palatable to lost people, especially in this day and age. Um, you know, unless people like what they're hearing from the pulpit, you won't be able to fill seats. And uh, you won't be able to fulfill your vision of a perfectly purpose-driven church. Um, and, you know, to build a church for the 21st century, you really have to make sure that the preaching is watered down and sugared up enough. Uh, because people don't really want to hear about all that hell and damnation stuff anymore. It's just too depressing, I guess. That's, that's how a lot of these churches seem to kind of approach the, uh, the, the gospel. But why do we see this stuff, stuff like this happening? Um, what it really comes down to is that it's, it's all because the churches where these things are found have perverted the idea of authority over the church and favored the teachings of sinful men over the doctrines of a sinless and holy God. So how could this be avoided? Um, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that the only real Christians are Baptists, uh, because that's obviously not true. Um, but how is it that some of these churches have all got it so horribly wrong when all the instructions are right in here? Um, I mean, it, it's pretty simple, actually. The, many of these other churches have missed the point entirely, uh, thinking they can replace Christ's authority with a bunch of rules and agreements and regulations that they've cooked up themselves. Or some of them have decided that the biblical models for church organization and growth are just simply outdated and that they can do better work for the Lord uh, with a smoke machine and espresso bar in the lobby. <laughs> so th- the fact is, a true church is connected directly to the source of life that is the Lord Jesus Christ. We are able to do this by way of his word and the Holy Spirit, which reveal to us everything we need to know. We don't need anything else. Second um, Timothy 3.16 tells us, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And as I mentioned earlier, the local independent church is really the model that we're given for how we are to assemble and serve the Lord. And the Bible also makes it quite clear who is the head of the body, the body being made up of the local churches. Uh, Paul wrote in Colossians uh, in fact, if you'd like to turn with me uh, to Colossians uh, 1, and we're going to read verses 12 through 18. So Colossians 1, 12. And I'll read now. Colossians 1, 12 through 18. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So the bottom line here is that Christ's leadership and his word are all the authority we need. If we regard Christ as the head of our church and look to him as our sole authority, we are therefore independent. We don't need our doctrine written up and handed to us by some religious bureaucracy or a bishop from the other side of the country. We don't need a complicated, you know, multi-tiered system of religious rules and regulations. All we really need is this right here. And we really ought to recognize the blessing of our church's independence. But consider this, though. Many Christians, although they're definitely saved, aren't 
members, necessarily, of a local, self-governing, independent church, as I've described. Uh, They may be out there kind of floating around from church to church or not even going to church, uh, getting their heads filled with all kinds of nonsense. Um, Please pray for these brothers and sisters that the Lord would guide their steps and lead them to a place like Berean, because that's exactly what he did for me. But I, I think that members of Berean, as members of Berean, and as American citizens, independence is a really important concept for every single one of us to understand. Uh, since Wednesday is the 4th of July, I think it's important to kind of look at this from the context of, uh, you know, our, uh, the, the history of our forefathers and the establishment of our country. Um, our founding fathers had an acute understanding of what independence means. Most of them were also Bible-believing Christians, no matter what any modern liberal historian will tell you. Uh, there's an interesting story about the Revolutionary War that should give you an idea of the early Americans' motivations for securing the independence of the colonies. Uh, on the evening of April 18, 1775, John Adams and John Hancock met at the home of Reverend Jonas Clark, a Lexington pastor and militia leader. That night, Paul Revere arrived to warn them of the approaching Redcoats. Uh, by the next morning, the Redcoats had indeed arrived. Upon seeing an assembled mass of armed Minutemen, British Major Pitcairn shouted, Disperse, ye villains! Lay down your arms in the name of George, the sovereign king of England. The immediate response was, We recognize no sovereign but God, and no king but Jesus. What happened next was the shot heard around the world and the beginning of the Revolutionary War. Later, uh, the Reverend Jonas Clark would preach, From this day will be dated the liberty of the world. So there are some interesting parallels to think about here. These heroes of the American Revolution knew that their vision for a new independent nation could only succeed if the colonies could be unshackled from the rule of the British Empire. And like us, in a lot of ways, they understood the corruption of human rule and rejected the notion that a foreign ruler had authority over them. Ultimately, they sought to establish an independent, self-governing body that would glorify God. On the same day the Declaration of Independence was signed in 1776, John Adams wrote the following in a letter to his wife, Abigail. July 4th ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. So the founders understood clearly that our independence is truly a blessing from God. And as the country grew in its infancy, they based certain aspects of the design for our government on principles found in the Bible. Uh, This is kind of an interesting fact um, that uh, some of you may not be aware of, but at the Constitutional Convention of 1787, James Madison proposed the plan to divide the central government into three separate branches. He was the first guy to propose the idea. Um, But he discovered this model of government from the perfect governor, in his words, as he read Isaiah 33, 22. For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. And so... That was what inspired him to, uh, to propose the executive, uh, legislative, and uh, judicial branches of uh, the federal government. But uh, just as we should be thankful of our independence as a nation, we should understand that this, in many ways, correlates with our independence as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you will take time during this next week of July 4th to thank the Lord for our independence as a nation our independence as a church, and for the many blessings he continues to bestow upon us in all these respects. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, just thank you tonight for our independence. Uh, We thank you for the many blessings that you've given us uh, 
as a result of that. And uh, we just pray that you just help us as a, as a community, as a church, as a nation to, uh, to glorify you and to do your will, Father. Uh, but uh, we thank you so much for this church. And uh, we pray that you would just uh, bless everyone here tonight. Um, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.